In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Well, welcome back. We're going to have a series of adult ed classes. This one's going to be on color, the theology of color. Now, this is a strange subject, I know, but what I want to do in the summertime is do bizarre subjects. <laughs> and then um, during the school year, just have classes on more kind of serious theological subjects. Um, so we're going to do one on the history of spiritualities. Um, the only problem, starting out with problems, is um, for the month of September, I have Mass on Tuesdays at uh, Holy Family immediately after, ma after this class. So literally, I'll stop class, get in my car, and drive away. And God bless you, but you know I'm kind of highly strung, right? I'm very tight. No, I am. Don't argue with me. Um, <laughs> so when I tell you I'm done, I'm done. And if you say, oh, can I talk to you for a minute? I'm going to just keep walking. Does that mean... Cause, I only have 10 minutes. Does that make sense? So, um, and it is, I'll tell you that, but, and this I find funny. I really find this hilarious because I have told people when I first got here, knowing it would be ineffective, that I can't make appointments at the door of the church after Mass because, like, I need a, my computer calendar and my secretary. And literally every Mass I've been here uh, at Holy sorry, at St. Pius, for a year, after the weekend masses at the door of the church, I'm going to say, what about Thursday? I don't know. What about October 27th? I don't know. What about it? <laughs> and I'll always tell them, you have to call the office. Because the truth is, it'll take at least two to three weeks to get an appointment. Does that make sense? So um, uh, my only point being is that I'll tell you this, that Immediately after the classes in September, I will take off. And I guarantee somebody will say, can I talk to you for a minute? And I'll just keep walking. No, God bless you. Bye. Why? Because <laughs> um, I got mass. Um, so just FYI. The other issue is um, uh, I'm going to try and do more like slideshows, but I'm not really tech, very tech. So um, this is my maiden venture. Um, so anyhow. Um, so, want to do a class on the theology of color, or at least color, but start with this story of the difference between persuasion and persuasion. Um, so, there's this, they've done all these psychological studies I find interesting on what's called persuasion. Example is this, um, they took these two bed stores where, um, uh, in the two bed stores, you had different groups of people, and where one bed is, they put this huge picture of sky blue and puffy white clouds, um, and the photograph was right next to the bed. Then they had people test the beds on whether they like it, and wherever the bed was, where there's puffy clouds, they said, oh, that bed was better. Now, you know it's a test, right? In each store, it was the same exact bed. So they'd ask people afterwards in this test, they said, well, okay, now why was that bed? Uh, and they said, oh, I liked it because of this and that. It's just I felt better. And the odd part is it was the exact same bed. The only thing that changed is the wallpaper 
of the puffy white clouds and the blue. And in these interviews, they said, well, did the photo of the puffy white clouds and the blue affect uh, your decision? Not at all. <laughs> no, actually, it did affect it because it's the exact same bed. The only thing that changed was not the bed, but the color blue and the puffy white clouds. And so the point being is that this sounds kind of strange. Um, persuasion is, uh, well, start with persuasion. Persuasion is about facts. Like I can argue something and I can change your opinion. Persuasion is you already um, have been primed to make a decision. You're already designed to decide something a certain way. And so like puffy white clouds are persuasion. And here's the odd part. In all these studies, they also found out that color has a persuasive effect. You're not even aware that it's, there's a program running in your background that's already helping you decide something a certain way. Here's another example of persuasion. Words are persuasive. So they did this psychological study giving people these really easy word puzzles. And then um, they'd give people an easy word puzzle. And then you just have to hand in the test to this woman. But when they hand in the test to the woman, the woman ignores you and she's talking to another woman on the phone. Um, and oddly enough, if the test had words of patience and kindness, the person actually showed more patience and kindness to the woman who was being mean. If the words had uh, words of a, more words of aggressiveness, uh, like bother and fight, and you know, the person would be more aggressive and demand more respect from the woman that was being rude. So the words that surround us, believe it or not, they echo in our heads and they have a persuasive behavior. Or um, uh, when exposed to words of respect towards elderly, uh, of just like reading an article and then somebody has to go work with elderly pe pa patients, they actually show more patience. So words, the words that are rumbling around your head are actually persuasive. Um, they did this other study where uh, when exposed to words about uh, a professor, people do better on Trivial Pursuit. When exposed to words about soccer hooligans, uh, it makes them dumber <laughs> on Trivial Pursuit. Um, so this sounds kind of strange. They've even flashed words so fast that it only subconsciously um, you can be aware of it. And believe it or not, it slightly changes your behavior. Now, my point being about the words is that that reminds me of prayers. Prayers, you keep reciting prayers over and over and over, and the words that we use are persuasive. We tend to act according to the words that we use in our prayers. So this class is on the kind of uh, the theology of color. Color is also persuasive. And we as Catholics... We use colors a lot in the way we pray. Now, I took this class. Um, I'm really a bizarre person. Once again, don't argue. I can feel it coming up. Um, like my, I spend a lot of extra money on books and online classes. And it's like I love taking online classes. So it's what I do for fun and, and read. But they had this class that was offered on the great teacher series that now is defunct on the psychology of color. So a lot of what I'm talking about I get from the, this class. And I took the class, but to be honest, being cynical, I was like, oh, 
I know this is going to be a, you know, I don't want to use that kind of language. I use it in Montana, a BS class, but <laughs> I'll pay for it and check it out. Um, and um, holy cow, it really did convince me. Color is persuasive. And then with a Catholic background, like it really shocked me, with a Catholic background, um, I was like, oh, just knowing the history of Catholicism, no wonder why for 2,000 years we use color uh, to help us pray in icons and scripture. So the odd part is, wow, this really blew my mind how persuasive color is. And the problem is, just on the science of color, color is not what you see. I know everybody grows up thinking you see color. Actually, color is not what you see. So in the 1600s, there was this undistinguished graduate, Isaac Newton, who um, in his 20s, he starts to ask the question, he's this great physicist, well, what is color? Um, and granted, he's known for his mathematical and astronomical discoveries, but also he did discoveries on light and color. And he starts to experiment with prisms to discover, um, what he discovered is pure light is composed of all colors. Now, I know that sounds kind of minor. We know that, right? But at the time period, what they would have thought is that prisms, these triangular glass things, it, they just thought it was the impurity in the glass that caused the colors to form. What he discovered is pure light, uh, what the prism does, it just split the lights into um, pure light. A prism splits it into colors. And he discovered that color is certain wavelengths of light that simply our eyes pick up. But the odd part, color is not what you see. Um, so when you see a red apple, technically the one thing the apple is not is red. So um, it's actually anti-red. Now, how many people do know this already? Because I don't want to spend too, okay. Oh, yeah, so like your red sweater or shirt, um, but is that red? Well, maroon. It's in the, maroon is a shade of red. <laughs> uh, so your red uh, bikini top, um, <laughs> your maroon, the one thing it's not is maroon. I know this sounds kind of strange, but um, what he discovered is that that's the color that's being reflected back. That the red apple, it's absorbing all the light except for the wavelength of red. So it bounces back, and that's what you see. So that, like, that's really kind of interesting. I'll get into that in a second. Does that make sense? Did I confuse people? No, how many people understood what I said? Okay, so well, I'm just going to continue. So what you see is what is being bounced back, which means it's not being absorbed. So the apple is not red. The apple is everything but red. Um, red is the color that's being reflected back. And here's the odd part. So his discovery is that our eyes are blind to most of the colors that are available in creation. We only see a tiny bit of all the color that's around us. And color is picked up by our rods and cones, right, in our eyes. So human beings have three rods and cones, so that um, that's what we see the world. A dog only has two rods and cones, 
So when a dog looks at a rainbow, it only sees the blue and green uh, shades of it. We can see a lot more. We can see the red hues. Um, with just one photoreceptor more, we can see hundreds more shades of color. So one rod and cone, one photoreceptor makes a huge difference. Or a crow, a crow has one more um, than we do. So a crow can see hundreds of shades of colors more than we can. A butterfly has five receptors. Uh, a mantis shrimp has 16. Isn't that amazing? Like, holy cow. But here's the odd part. Um, a, a mantis shrimp should be able to see like the entire spectrum, or not, most of the spectrum of visible light but it can't. And the reason why, like it should be able to see a whole uh, paint store of colors, but it can't because it doesn't have the brain capacity to mix them together. What you truly see is actually in your brain, not in your rods and cones. It's your brain that mixes the rods and cones together. So we see color or light, not just with our eyes, and here's the really shocking part. We make sense of the colors with our brain. So you don't see colors with your eyes. You also see it with your brain. Um, now, this is where some people object to this. And I've had people, when I tell them this, they'll object. But you're wrong. <laughs> um, because what it means is this. They'll say, no, color is just a matter of seeing with the mechanics of your rods and cones. That is partially true, but partially untrue. Like a mantis shrimp, it communicates with color, and it can flash these polarized lights to communicate, but they can't, they don't have the brain to mix the colors together. We may only have three rods and cones, but our big, big brains can mix it together. The mantis shrimp is stuck at 16 colors because it can't mix them together. Our brains can mix and define to see color. Human beings only have three rods and cones, but we can see hundreds of colors. Right? And here's the shocking part. How color affects the way you experience the world. So yeah, we can see, but I'm gonna get back to this point. Color also affects the way you see the world. So oddly, um, and this is the shocking part, they did these experiments. Colors affect how you feel and act and even see. So color is persuasive. So they did this experiment, I'm sure you know this, where um, they took these gelatins, they took these gelatins that were tasteless and odorous, and they put blindfold studies just to make sure that it was tasteless and odorous. Then they put um, uh, tasteless color food dye in them. And all ages, all people, tastes the exact same thing in this gelatin when you simply change the color. You haven't changed the taste. You've changed the color. So when people eat the red gelatin, they say it tastes like strawberries. When they eat the green gelatin, they say it's tart, like a green apple. When they eat the yellow, they say it's sour, like lemons. And when they eat the blue gelatin, they say, well, it just tastes odd. And many of them um, say it's like coconut, but they just any dark color, like a blue food, 
everybody always says that it tastes strange. But the odd part is, they did hundreds of people doing these tasteless gelatin ones, and they all stick to it. So it's, no, it tastes like strawberry. So when the experiment tells the uh, participants that the jello was actually just dye, that it was tasteless, they all refused to believe it. The elderly don't believe it, the teens don't believe it, men and women all refused to believe that the gelatin was tasteless. Um, and so I just think that's kind of interesting. The point being is that people taste something. They did taste something. They're not lying. They did taste something, but their brains added the taste. Does that make sense? Their brains added the taste. And likewise, our brains naturally add meaning when we see color. We taste with our eyes long before we taste with our mouth. Like Cheetos, believe it or not. Like Cheetos, have you ever seen Cheetos? You know what color they are naturally? Gray. But the problem is people don't want to eat gray food. <laughs> and if you eat gray food, you say it tastes bad. So they put all this dye in it and suddenly tastes more cheesy. Um, so color is more than just fun. We ascribe meaning to color. Food tastes better. They did this experiment. Food tastes better on white plates. Black and white advertisements cause people to be more judgmental and fearful. That's why like, political ads are always in black and white, because it's supposed to make you more fearful. Color means different things to different parts of our brain. Color stimulates different parts of our brain depending upon the cor corresponding influences. So you know our brain has two systems, system one and system two. System um, one is your subconscious. So that's our instincts. Uh, there are certain things that we're simply pre-programmed to believe. Um, like, to be honest, you don't have to teach a kid to be afraid of spiders or snakes, right? You just see a spider, you freak out, right? Well, most people do. You can train yourself not to, but there's a subconscious fear to that. Biologically, believe it or not, there's kind of this set meaning to colors in human beings. That's system one. That, uh, you know, you see light sky blue and puffy clouds and a bed looks softer. Um, system two, system two is our consciousness that's under our control. That's like language or riding a bike. Um, if you practice this enough, system two, it be can become unconscious. Um, and you know what I mean, like um, driving home, you know, you've all been in that position where you're driving home but you're not really thinking, but you stopped at all the stop signs and red lights. It's so programmed into you, you don't have to. Um, so system two is our cultural influences that we give to meaning. So some meaning to color is simply pre-programmed. Other part, it's our programming. But those meanings uh, are under our control. Um, so system two stuff is swimming, language, riding a bike, especially with me, driving. Um, but sometimes they match. Like red, um, whenever a human being uh, sees red, believe it or not, you're immediately geared up to notice it. So red in our culture means stop. So when you're driving home, you don't have to notice it. It's just part of our thing. And they did these studies that when you make pills, and they do these studies with pills of 
placebos versus the real one. But when you put red pills, people always say that it makes them wake up. Um, isn't that throughout the entire world, except for Italy? Um, no, that is actually true. Um, there's one section of Italy, I forget what province it is or whatever, um, that red actually, um, sorry, um, red wakes people up. Blue, blue makes people more relaxed and sleepy, except in Italy. At one section of Italy, um, blue pills wake men up. Isn't that bizarre? Do you know why? Okay, so this is, I think, funny. Oh, God, that's not what I meant. Anyhow, um, I suddenly tried, why are you laughing? Anyhow, uh, um, it's because uh, this soccer team that's really popular in this one, like, I don't know, say Calabria of Italy, is they put the pills in the same color as the jersey of the soccer shirts. <laughs> the men had trouble falling asleep because it reminded them of their soccer team. But I just think it's really interesting that blue, uh, everybody always tests that it makes you more sleepy. So in these placebos, um, red wakes you up, blue is the best for making you sleepy, yellow is the best for treating depression, green is best at reducing anxiety, and white is soothing. So antacids really should be in white. But so um, uh, color in its, it has, believe it or not, biologically preset meanings to us. But color also matters in the context. So um, you have to use it in the right context. So they did this interesting experiment where um, they asked people what their favorite color was. Do you know what people's favorite, most people's favorite color is? Blue. So they asked kids, um, what's your favorite color? Because Heinz ketchup wanted to market more to kids. So they asked kids what their favorite color is, and they said blue. So, um, so anyhow, uh, they started, they spent millions of dollars and tried to market blue ketchup. Which, of course, the sales failed. But logically, it's your favorite color. Why wouldn't you want to add it? But human beings, believe it or not, are very weary of blue or slash dark colored uh, spectrum of that uh, food because it triggers us this sense it could be rotten. And so they lost millions of dollars. But logically, kids like the color blue will make ketchup in blue, but it doesn't work. My point being is that context matters. You have these pre-programmed things, but you have to put them in context. Or color with women. This sounds kind of strange. I love this experiment. They took these pictures of women, and they would uh, flash these pictures of women at men, and you just rate how attractive the woman is on a scale to 1 to 10. But, of course, the sneakiness is that they put the same picture of women in just in different colors, wearing different colored shirts. So, like, the men aren't realizing they're voting on the same woman several times. Um, and um, so they just dressed her in different colors. You know what's interesting? You put a woman in a red dress, scores the highest. Uh, put a woman in black, second highest scoring on attractiveness. Um, blue lowers it. So men really like women dressed in red. 
congratulations. Um, <laughs> so if you're going to go for a job interview and you're getting interviewed by a group of men, what color is the best for you to wear? Okay, so that's pretty logical, right? But here's an interesting thing. They, they did it with women, too. Uh, I just think this is hilarious. Guess if you're having a job interview and the board is a woman, what is the worst color you can wear when a woman is in? <laughs> yes! <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> so um, red does make you more attractive, but the color blue gives the impression, they did these experiments, that you're easier to get along with. Isn't that kind of interesting? So if you're getting interviewed by a woman, for God's sakes, if you're a woman, don't wear red. <laughs> wear blue. So like colors of uniforms, they did these experiments. So um, light blue is the friendliest. So they put nurses working in pediatrics in light blue, or cops that work with kids in light blue, uh, children wards, stuff like that. Black is more aggressive. Um, that's why I wear black. Um, so black always gives the impression that you're more aggressive. So yeah, cops wear also black, but you know that's a cop that you don't want to mess with. Does that make sense? So I just think it's kind of interesting. Now here's the odd part. The way you see the world also affects, and I'm going to repeat this, the way you, the way, okay, so my first point is colors affect the way you see the world. The reverse is true. How you see the world affects how you see colors. That's the part that's bizarre. And that's the part you can say, no, no, it's just rods and cones. No, it's not. Um, you see with your mind as well. You know how I said a dog has only two rods and cones? You know what we call people like that? Colorblind. They're missing rods and cones. So some people, and I'm not sure, I think Deacon Chris is one of them. Um, he's definitely missing something. Um, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think he might be colorblind. I don't know. But his wife lays out his clothes. Um, but, so there are some people who are missing um, some rods and cones, right? We know that. So then scientists start to think, well, if that's true, could there be, right, remember, crows have four. Could there be human beings with four photoreceptors? Those are called uh, tetrachromats. And guess what they discovered? There are some people who are tetrachromats, incredibly rare. Um, they found one guy who was this wildlife painter. He was, you know, you can scientifically discover this. He, he's a tetrachromat. Or they found several women who are tetrachromats. So, like, when they look at the sky, they'd say, well, it's a blue sky, but there's some streaks of red in it. Like, I, I'm not a tetrachromat, I'll tell you that. But like, it's amazing to see these interviews that, wow, they can simply see more color. But this is the bizarre part. They found women that are technically tetrachromats. They have four rods and cones, but um, they can't see more color. So why would that be? They have the mechanics to see more, but they don't. What's the difference? Exactly. It's how they see the world. So here's a little history on the uh, history of uh, the color blue. There's this odd thing, probably you guys have heard this. 
you're a nerd. Um, do you remember in high school you read the uh, Aeneid? Okay, so I just got back from Greece. First, I love Greece is my favorite of all countries, but it is desolate and rocky. And then you go to Italy, and Italy is lush and green. But the thing I like about Greece is the water's blue, blue, blue. Like the Atlantic water's ugly, to be honest. It's kind of a greeny color. Greece, the water is strikingly blue. I could spend all day looking at the water in Greece. Um, and the reason why I mention that is that in high school when you read the Aeneid, do you remember um, he says, they're on the ship and he says, the dark wine sea? The dark, you guys didn't read that, did you? It's, <laughs> he talks about the dark wine sea. And so I was like, dark wine? No, it's brilliant, blue. Like it's popping out. And like that really disturbed me. What the heck, how could he not see that? And so I called a friend who has a degree in literature and she was like, yeah, that is a really odd line. I don't, so I had to research it. So oddly enough, I'm not the only one who noticed that. There's this English literature um, professor who noticed the same thing, that in the Aeneid, the word blue never shows up. And how, for the love of God, could you call the sea in Greece dark wine? Um, it's actually brilliant blue. But so he notices, wow, uh, he never uses the word blue. So it's, he comes to the conclusion, holy cow, he was colorblind. But then he notices in all Greek literature of that time period, the word blue never exists. Then he comes to the conclusion, holy cow, all Greeks are colorblind. <laughs> and then he notices, wait a minute, all human literature in that century never uses the word blue. Doesn't matter if it's Hebrew literature, uh, Egyptian, Chinese, the word blue never appears in a certain time period. The word, the color, the word blue actually is first used in Egypt and then spreads in different literature. The point being is at one time we didn't have a word for the color blue. That's the truth. Does that make sense? So, uh, wow, that is just absolutely amazing. So, the reason why is that blue is a really hard color to get. School, sky might be blue, but you only name something when there's a reason. And um, so it started in Egypt. So then they did this psychological experiment with toddlers of raising them with never using the word blue. And you'd say, ask the toddler, what color is the sky? Guess what they'd say? White. Now, it's not that their eyes can't see it, but their brain isn't prepared to see it. And so this sounds kind of strange, but now I have to figure this out. Um, I'm not really good at this. I have to figure out how this works. Anybody know how this works? Oh, there's an arrow. Yes, thank you. On the other side. Okay, so now I'm going to ruin this for you. This is a test from the great... Uh, he's a professor in Houston, great, great teacher series. But there's this place in Africa, in, Nib in northwest Nibia, the Himba tribe, that is the only group of human beings that to this day still do not have a word for the color blue. Um, 
So oddly enough, they have two colors, two words for the color green, but they have no word for the color blue. So that creates some really interesting things. So they asked the Himba tribe to look at these 12 colors. Now, can you pick out which color is different? How many people can? Oh, you guys are brilliant. Um, believe it or not, the Himba think it's a trick. They can't see the difference. Don't you find that absolutely amazing? Um, so, now, here's the odd part. Um, remember, color is not just your rods and cones. It's what's in your head. So then they did this experiment with just words and colors. That people who uh, learn a second language are better at picking out colors. Isn't that bizarre? And when I read that, I just didn't believe it because I'm like that. I didn't believe it, and there's a test for it. And um, now, it's not 100%, but I've actually tested this out with my staff, and I'd say, now, which color is different? And I did this at Holy Apostles with my staff, and we're all like, ah, we can't pick it out. And then I had a parish nurse, and she walked around the corner, but she was raised in, uh, she was Dutch. So English is not her first language, though she speaks it, you can't tell. She walks around the color, corner and says, what are you guys looking at? And we said, which of these 12 colors are different? And she says, it's obvious, it's this one. And it's like, no, we can't see the difference. And then we had a custodian, Marcella, who's Mexican, said, Marcella, can you pick out which color? And she said, it's that one. So then I tried it with my staff here. And Francesca was from Chile. And I'm going to give you the test. And the test is, which color green is different? And once again, Francesca could pick it out. Um, uh, I still can't. So on this one, how many people here can see which color is different? And it should pop out to you the same way. Okay, so, okay, okay, so here, here it is. It's... Um, that one right there. And to be honest, I can't see it. But like Monique could pick it out. Francesca could pick it out. In my previous parish, there's this couple. They're an elderly couple. They're actually from New York, but they're second generation Italians. So they don't speak a second language, but they grew up with their grandparents and parents speaking Italian. And when I did the test on them, they were like, oh yeah, that's obvious, we can see it. It's, and I said, no, I honest God, I can't see any difference in that color. And they were like, it's obvious. Like, here's the odd part. We have the same rods and cones, but why is it that people who speak a second language are better at recognizing shades of color? Because color is not what you see with your eye. It's also what you see with your head. Um, and oddly enough, your like, the other part, I have a theory, this is my theory, I tend to be like, my first major sin is worry, my second sin is I'm judgmental, don't tell people, and my third is I tend to have anger issues. Used to be anger one, but I'm a little judgmental, so I think maybe that blinds me to a lot of the beauty in the world. Um, like the Italian couple from New York, Oh my God, so loving, very non-judgmental. And I was like, is it because they grew up with people speaking a second language? Or my theory might be, maybe because they're so accepting, their minds are just open to more beauty. 
I don't know, but all I know is that that color technically is different. I just can't see it. So raise your hand. How many people here knew immediately which color was different? Do you speak a second language? Wow. Okay, what about anybody else? Gina, do you speak a second language? Hmm. How many people here, like me, cannot pick it out if you had? Yeah, isn't that amazing? I don't know. But uh, color is not what you see. Color exists. But, um, uh, like, to be honest, I think it works like this. This is why I say about my judgmentalism is um, I just haven't been involved in schools and stuff. Um, it is kind of amazing where um, a kid will get into trouble and I'll literally have, like at my former parish, as I have to tell, I think it's funny. Um, I kept candy in the sacristy to give to the altar servers, chocolate, if they did a good job and I always gave it. So I always kept a drawer full of chocolate uh, where my vestments were in a separate drawer in the sacristy. But we had the uh, cameras all over the place. I opened the drawer one day and all my chocolate's gone. <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, so I checked the video camera, and kids from the school, we had a Catholic school next door. Great kids. I love these kids, too. But you saw one of them. One of them was on a lookout, and the other two came into the sacristy, and they just loaded up. So, and I really don't care about the chocolate. I really, and like, to me, it was hilarious. But, you know, morality... I'm going to make him suffer. So um, I, mean, I called the parents and uh, said, yeah, just to let you know, I'm going to be chewing out your kid. But it's like I'm also really good at fake anger. <laughs> I'm not really angry, but I'm going to fake it. And I said, I demand that your kids come in and apologize for stealing my chocolate. So oh, what, the girl, oh, she is fantastic, but she was really felt guilty. Two of the kids are so funny. They came in, and uh, I said, you know, because I'm going to act angry. I, said, I, don't, I don't break into your house and steal your chocolate. What made you think you could steal my chocolate and not get caught? And they said, well, we didn't think you'd notice. I said, you took the whole drawer. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean I wouldn't notice? And we have a camera right there. And they all look at the camera and said, oh, is that what that was? And I said, no, it's one thing to be a thief. It's another to be a dumb thief. There's a camera right there. And the point being is that, I mean, I thought it was funny. But what wasn't funny is that one mother said, my kid didn't, wouldn't do that. Okay, now we got a serious fight. And I said, no, I, I, I will come in. And you can come in and show I'll show you the camera, but he will apologize. And she stuck to her guns and said he wouldn't do something like that. So, of course, I emailed the video clip of him stealing the candy. Still wouldn't apologize. But here's the thing. It's like color. You think, what do you mean it's like color? Um, some people will not see the faults of their own children. You know, parents are recognizing something and admitting something are two different things. Color exists. It doesn't mean that you can see it. You may have the equipment to see it, but you may not be able to recognize it because your mind can't grasp it. 
The mother who said, my kid didn't do it, even though I sent the video clip, still is unable to recognize it. So like the mantis shrimp, it has the equipment to see this much color. It doesn't have the brain capacity to. So color is not just what's in our eye, it's what's in our head. And like, I love the saint that said, we're trapped in a work of art, the beauty of creation. But not all human beings are open to the beauty. Um, I think it's a function of the soul to actually see what's beautiful. So now, this is just the introductory class, so sorry about that. But um, uh, I want to do, in the next couple of classes, like go over, believe it or not, red has a different, you paint a room red, people act a certain way. You paint a room yellow, people act a certain way. You paint a room blue, differently. So I want to do like a theological reflection on color, especially since, as Catholics, we use color. And so, I know this sounds strange, my first theological point is this. Well, if color is persuasive, not persuasive, if we're already geared for it, my first reflection is, how can we use color to become more spiritual? If color affects how we act and feel, then why wouldn't I want to use that to my advantage to become more spiritual? It, how can I use color persuasively to become more holy? Um, if how we see the world affects how we recognize color, then does other things work that way too? Like, think about this. I know this is going to shock you, but like, there's a color up there that's different than the other ones, but I can't see it. And a lot of people want to say, well, you know, if God would make himself visible, I would see it, right? You hear people say that all the time. Maybe you don't have the soul or the mind to actually recognize it. Maybe God's virtues are right there. You just can't see it. The same way I can't see that color green because I, maybe I'm too judgmental or don't really fluently speak a second language even though I do. Um, like, do you know what I mean? Do you get the point? Maybe, do you, I, I'm getting blank stares, so I'm not really, you don't get what I mean. Oh, maybe God is really present. Uh, we're just colorblind. And here's the other thing, like virtues, I know this sounds kind of strange. Um, giving a name to the color blue helps our mind recognize blue. Therefore, maybe naming virtues can help you practice them more. And I do this strange thing, it's my personal devotion, but I say 49 Hail Marys in the afternoon for 49 different virtues. Um, not quite virtues, but they're the virtues, the gifts. So I say one Hail Mary for each. And then, actually a couple years ago after I took this class, I kind of thought, you know what, I should couple that with color. So with each of the 49 virtues, I assign a color or a shade of color. So when I'm I say one prayer a day for meekness. And meekness, I use light blue. I pray for peace. I use light blue. I pray for the gift of knowledge. Dark blue. No, that's, sorry, that's royal blue. But I have all these virtues that I pray for. And when I do, I have a color in my mind because I want to be able to recognize. This sounds kind of strange. I'm trying to hijack so that I see color. But think about this. We're the creative species. What makes human beings so vastly different is we descend from 10,000 years to be makers, creators. 
human beings have always been incredibly creative. Um, we spend our time shaping things, alternating things, rearranging things, improving our surroundings. We are a creative species. You know, if you put a set of crayons out and a piece of paper in front of children, they'll just go at it. Um, they love color. They love being creative. You put Legos out in front of them, they'll start building. They don't say, I'm not an engineer. I can't do these Legos. Um, I haven't taught engineering. Human beings love to be creative. So why wouldn't we make color part of our spirituality? And we do that as Catholics. Catholics and Jews use art in their spirituality. Catholics pray through art. Um, you know, typically we're introduced to prayer through classical forms of memorized words like, you know, the Lord's Prayer. However, if you study the history of prayer, ancient Christians would say that silence also, adoration, is the uh, profound way of praying. So um, a more personal prayer is that sometimes Catholics have this whole history, ancient history, of using art to pray with. We have stained glass windows and mosaics and statues and paintings. Um, we even use, God commands us to use clothing in liturgy. Um, stoles, crosses, the high priest in the Old Testament, he wears a coat of many, many colors. It's a multicolored coat. So if you're wonder, ever wondering why Jacob, yeah, sorry, yeah, Jacob is given the coat of many colors, you think, oh, he's wearing exactly what the high priest wears. God has a lot of to, to say in the Bible about colors, and he's teaching the people to pray, oddly enough, using colors in different seasons. So yes, we use memorized words, but we as Catholics use art forms, uh, stained glass windows, um, icons. Now, here's, if you study like the history of religion, in the 19th century, there is a rejection of evangelicalism against art used in worship. And the rejection was because it's too Catholic. So basically what they have is a stage and a rock concert. Um, but Catholics and Jews are different. Um, even if you go to the Mormon temple, there's not a lot of art. They have some illustrations of Jesus. Uh, it's blonde. Uh, but they don't use color and art in prayer. Um, and as I said, early 19th century Protestants rejected because it was too Catholic. Um, but if prayer is about becoming aware of your inner life, why can't we use prayer to be more attentive to the message of God? Scripture uses colors in a way, uh, you know, the pale green horse of Revelation, the black horse of the apocalypse, the color purple means one thing. All the colors in the Bible, all the numbers in the Bible mean something. We modern people tend to be too much head people and we think that thinking about God is actually religion. So I think, to be honest, we overemphasize the catechism. Not that that's bad, but I think that's an effect of the enlightenment that, we're not, that you think if you have knowledge about something, you know everything about it. But, you know, my joke is, and this is a joke from Benjamin Franklin, have you ever met anybody who's, yeah, they have a great theologian, they could tell you, the, all the Greek words for love, and yet they're the most bitter person of all? They have head knowledge, but not heart knowledge. You want to be able to live in the color of love. Um, so Benjamin Franklin said, oh, I knew a man who knew the word 
for a horse in five dif different languages, but when he went to the farm, he saddled the pig. Um, <laughs> I, I think people trust too much. So anyhow, in the, um, I also want to do this class on the history of art. So I'll probably do that next summer when we do fun subjects. But the history of art and religion, you know where it first starts? Paleolithic cave paintings that are incredibly artful. Now, they only had three colors, but they were incredible. Like, those cave paintings were early cathedrals. They weren't just painting randomly. We know now that ritual uh, acts were done in these caves using astronomy and art and music, and it was used for rites of initiation. So art and uh, or those early caves were basically early cathedrals for funeral rites and rites of initiation. These megalithic stone structures still had artwork on them. We've always used art and religion. And if I want to love and see the world as God sees it, doesn't art and color have some dimension to that? Not just memorized catechetical answers? And the second person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, um, uh, sorry, third person of the Trinity, <laughs> The second person in the Bible, um, when they experienced the Holy Spirit, it caused him to create artwork. So, uh, what's that? No, no, he did this artwork. But, so, like, I kind of think, well, not that I'm an artist, I'm not. I can't even see the color green up there. But why wouldn't I use color? Um, and now, I want to go back, because I... I think I still have a couple minutes unless that clock died on me. Um, yeah. So, you know what I said? Like, the color red is the one thing your shirt is not. I mean, we call it red because I can see red. But red is the color that's getting reflected back so I can see it. It's giving off red. It's not red itself. Um, I want to do a second reflection on that. That, um, so, if some object doesn't reflect back the color. Um, uh, if uh, if object doesn't reflect back the color, what color does it become? Good. So, and, and this is really interesting. They, I don't know if you watched the news, but they came up with this new color, invented a new color for black. I shouldn't say that. Um, scientifically, they came up with a, a black that's super black. And have you guys, anybody see it? Isn't it amazing? Like, it is, it is so black, it's black. Like, if you painted this tabletop black, it would look like you're gonna fall into a hole. It is not reflecting anything back. Isn't that amazing? Then they came up with a, a new scientific color for white, where it reflects even more color back, which I would love to paint the outside of a church that color, because, <laughs> It would look super bright because it's reflecting everything back. Um, so if a color absorbs all the light, what do we call it? Black. If it reflects all the light back, what color does it look like? Or bright. Um, so if you see a red rose, scientifically it's not red. That's the color it's giving back to the world. Um, that's the color. It is self-empty. And... So my point being is that I was thinking about that. Like, oh, if you take everything, you're darkness. 
if you, whatever you give back, if you give everything back, it's light. So the red rose, what it gives the world is red. The red rose is bathed in all light, but the one red, one thing it's giving back to the world is the color red. Um, so, I don't know if this makes sense. So what you take from the world, you take everything from the world, the light, uh, and you keep part of it. And I want to repeat this, because you take from the world, and what you keep to yourself is actually what you are not. So um, you are what you give away. The red rose, the red shirt, what it's giving the world, what it's returning the world, is the color red. Red is what it's giving away, not what it's keeping. So how you define yourself is not what you keep, but what you give away. Does that make sense? So now think about that with virtues. Like, if I say you're a loving person, that's because you're giving away love, not sucking it all in. Does that make sense? Um, So uh, if you keep all love, and this gets into God, God loves us 100%, but what can we reflect back? If all you can do is absorb love, technically, you're loveless. Does that make sense? If you can reflect it back, then you're the color of love. So if all the virtues have color, what virtues do you shine back? I mean, um, if all you do is take, take blessings from the world, technically, you're unblessed. If what you do is receive blessings and reflect them back, then you are a blessing. So I know this thing sounds strange, but um, I pray with colors. Um, And I'm kind of curious, from God's perspective, what virtues do my soul reflect back from Christ? Or do I just absorb them all? The only thing you take into the next world is what you give off. So if you give off love, you're loving. Does that make any sense? So just a strange class on the theology of color. Um, In the next classes, I'm going to go over what the different colors biologically, if, how they affect us, how we can pray with them. But that, this is my intro. Now, feedback, questions, objections. Not always, but typically Mary is in blue and white. So in case you didn't hear that, she said um, color is persuasive. She's, her cane is persuasive. She only has a cane so she can get front into the airport. <laughs> All right, she didn't say that, but that's what she meant. She said doors get open. I know what you mean, woman. Yeah, Catherine. Okay, can I explain that? Okay, technically, and I, Mary would have not wore the color blue when she was a historical person. 
blue actually, and you'll have to come back to find out what blue and white mean. But the other issue is that art, artistically wise with Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, um, um, like when Mary appears to the Croatians in Medjugorje, she looks Croatian. When she appeared in Belgium, two places, she appears blonde and blue-eyed. When she appeared in Japan, guess what she looked like? So I know that she appears as the people that she's appear, she appears as one of the people she's appearing as. So if you see a blonde Mary, such as the two Belgium apparitions, well, yeah, she appears, you know what I mean? Um, in Nock, she appeared as a Virgin Mary, but she looked Irish. So she appears like the people she's... So that's, it's not saying Mary historically was Japanese or Irish, though she probably was. Um, no, she was Jewish. Uh, but it's actually making a statement about us and Mary coming to us in a way that, that, way that we can understand. The reason why Mary's not always in blue and white, but blue does mean something in the Bible. Um, so, so don't think it's making a, like, this sounds kind of strange. When I said the Mormon art is illustrative, like Mormon art paints Jesus as an American, but they're not making an a artistic statement about Jesus. They're, they're trying to say Jesus is an American. That's not what, what the blonde... Right. So, like, that's not art. That's illustration. Mary coming as a Japanese or painting her in blue and white, that's art. That's saying something, that's a message, not trying to rewrite history. So, no problem. Yes, I'll explain that next time. Uh, and the, the other part is... Uh, the other part is notice which one's on top and which one's on bottom. It all means something. All right, well, we're 10 o'clock. I told you we'd go one hour. We did start at 10 o'clock, didn't we? 9 o'clock? Okay, so glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially. Your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comment section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.